We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you finish Did you that? that? <laughs> we're, about one and a half, we're about halfway there. We're just saying that it's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. Welcome to Field of 68 After Dark, sponsored by Bet Rivers. I'm Megan McEwen. We've got Rob Doster in the house. We've got Coach Matt McCall with us. Gentlemen, hello. Good evening. How are we doing? I'm doing, doing great. Doing great. Doing great. Excited to be here. I'm fired up for uh, you see what the, the shirt that McCall's got on over there. I don't know if you guys can see it, the USA shirt. I'm just I'm biding my time right now before two o'clock tomorrow for uh, for USA and Iran. Um, fired up for that. I don't think people realize how big of a soccer guy you are, Doster. Oh, big. Can you see the uh, right over here? They got the, the Tottenham scarf on over there. Wow, look at that. They like a the... Ted Lasso himself. Oh, yeah, Ted Lasso. That's the, my, so my my club, the one that I that I like too much is, uh, if you watch the original Ted Lasso when he was with Tottenham, remember the commercial they had for NBC? Uh-huh. You don't want to get you don't want me to get started. Dagan doesn't want me talking about UConn too much. You get me going down this road. We'll turn hey, it. Hey, this is this is our plan all along. We, we had a meeting yeah, we're shifting from meeting. UConn straight to shot soccer. Shifting. Exactly. There we you know go. what we're doing here. Uh let's let's go from Ted Lasso to Toast of the Night. Um, get your drinks out. I'll go first because I never want anyone to steal my toast. I'm gonna toast Purdue University. Um, their football team headed to the Big Ten Championship after winning the West this weekend. Purdue basketball i mean come on undefeated one of the best teams in the country it's a hot take we're gonna dive into it i'm all aboard the paint train right now rob doster who are you toasting hold on did you just say the paint train the paint train paint that's crew elite. whatever they call it that's uh, yeah, elite. that that's, that's awesome elite. i i've n- never heard that before that's awesome Sir, that has that. to be i mean i feel like that's not that clever or original i've just never heard it before huh? i mean i'll I take like credit it. for it um i'm going to uh i'm going to toast minnesota um, Minnesota tonight lost 67 to 57 in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the first game of the last ACC Big Ten Challenge that we're going to see. Uh, but the reason I'm toasting them is because the line in that game at Bet Rivers was 11 and a half points. With 7.8 seconds left on the clock, Minnesota was down by 14. They were going to the free throw line. They hit the front end of a one on one. They hit the second end of a one on one. They got a steal on the inbounds. They go in and they score with three seconds left. They're down by 10. The ball gets inbounded. They get the trap, and they don't foul. We get the cover. We won the bet, and I needed that after a uh, an admittedly rough weekend. So cheers, Minnesota. Good teams win. Great teams cover. 
that's that's not the space that's not the space jam beer you were drinking the other night that's not the no space it's not jam beer. this is called uh this is called allagash puro okay, nice, okay. Uh, this one this one is 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 pretty hefty it's 10.2 percent mccall i don't know if you can okay. handle that okay all right more of a coors like i myself <laughs> wait actually in florida which you're at right now they have the best beer ever called florida cracker that's what really okay. you should be going after and toasting with it's like a better blue moon slash uh shock top yeah, just kind of a simple guy for me though. Coors Light. That's we'll just we stick with stick yeah. with what works. You and Chris Beard. Okay, go. As long as the mountains are blue, right? As long as the mountains, mountains gotta are blue. blue. They gotta be blue. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna shift from Minnesota to Minnesota's head coach, the New Mexico Lobos under Richard Pitino, are currently sitting at six and zero, averaging eighty four points a game. They got the backcourt back of House and Mashburn. Both are getting 17 a game. So my mom's home state is New Mexico. So I'm going to toast the Lobos tonight. Off to a 6-0 and start. Lobos. We're learning new things about each other here. My mom's home state is also New Mexico. She was born in Las Cruces. My mom was born and raised in Hobbs, New Mexico. How about that? Hobbs, okay. Well, and to make this all go. a perfect triangle, my parents, uh, my dad's first job was at New Mexico State. And so they lived in Las Cruces for two years. So boom. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Hey, toast what a connection. To- toast show. to Breaking Bad. We're just toasting to everything here. It's going to be a wild show. That. It's just going to be a whole toasting hour, folks. Mm-hmm. Get your drinks, comment what you want to toast in the YouTube comments. All right, let's get down to business. So apparently I'm the only person that follows a rundown. But first off, we're going to talk about Purdue, which I think is exactly where we should start because my goodness, have you been watching the Boilers lately? One of the best teams in the country. They have been unbelievable between Zach Eady, who's a seven-footer, with just each year you watch him, his footwork gets better and better. He's smooth. You have the guard play right now of uh, Braden, what, Braden Smith. I mean, I have loved watching this Purdue team. Doster, what are your thoughts? Uh, I did not expect him to be this good this quickly, right? You normally bet on the paint train and, and just assume that he's going to find a way to figure this thing out. Um but to see them being able to uh, execute at the level that they're executing right now with a couple of freshman guards, ha- having lost um, a guy as good as Jaden Ivey, a top five pick, a player as important to what they do in their culture um, as, as Trevion Williams was. So it's been, it's been really impressive to watch. I did not think that that Purdue was going to be a team that could uh, compete at this level, right? I thought that they were probably in that like NCAA tournament range, seven to 10 seeds, something like that, win a game and you have a good season. Um, they might be a top five team in America right now. I, I, that might be putting the cart in front of the horse just a little bit at this point, uh, considering that there's so many other teams that haven't actually had a chance to challenge themselves, but they've been damn good. And I, I, you know what I think? And tell me what you guys think about this. I feel like they are enjoying playing without having Jaden Ivey out there. Um, that's not that. to say that he wasn't like a, a great player, but he was a little ball dominant. He was the one guy that we've seen in Matt Painter's offense over like the last five years, six years, seven, ever since they had this resurgence uh, that has not really fit into that system because he's just so unique and so explosive and so able to kind of do things on his own. Right. So it feels like this works more with just what Painter wants them to do as opposed to like, okay, we got to tweak some things to fit in Jaden. Because you got to, when you got a guy that's that talented. Sure. I mean, I think, you you know, you threw out the term culture, and he has it, right? I, like, I, the question is, do we give Matt Painter enough credit? And I, you, you may think I'm crazy. It, like, 
is he the best coach in the country? Like, you, you could make the argument there. He's been to 14 NCAA tournaments since he's been a head coach in 18 years. Six of them have been sweet 16s. Do you know how many first-round draft picks he's had? Two. Can't be more than, like, two or three. Car- Carson Edwards, Jaden Ivey. That's Carson. it. Carson was Carson was he a first round pick? I was thought he, he was. Wait, or was it Caleb Swan again? It was Biggie. Yeah, it was Biggie. Yeah. Biggie Swan again. It was Caleb. Swan Carson was. Yeah, Carson, Carson was go? our second round pick. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's incredible. I just Bobby think... Hummel definitely wasn't a first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> I just think what he does works, and he has a culture, and he recruits to it, and everybody that touches that organization understands that and knows it, and that's why they have so much success. I'm I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here about Matt Painter. I don't think he gets enough credit. I, I don't. I think he needs to be considered in the upper echelon of coaches for what he does year in and year out. And like you said, to lose a guy like Jaden Ivey, they haven't missed a beat, and they are a top five team in the country, in my opinion. A couple so, of points you made with that, too, though, to go off of creating that culture. First and foremost, Painter has gone on record saying, I only recruit guys that are going to stay three to four years because that's how you develop a culture. You watch the players in Painter's program. The guys that are on the roster their freshman year who don't play a ton are all of a sudden going to be stars by their senior year. Think about Ryan Klein in that run that he was able to make in those NCAA tournament games. Fantastic player who really trusted the system and kind of came up with Matt Painter's way. Number two, he's very adamant about the personality test by Chad Brown, the profile. He sends it to recruits to see just like the values of uh, what their values are and see how that kind of meshes with the value system at Purdue. And I think it's been a home run method for him to try to see the types of players he's bringing in. And in a world of positionless basketball, Purdue has had a seven-footer on its roster for the last 10 seasons. I mean, think about that. That's, well, that's going completely thing. against the grain. The world of one and dones in the world of positionless basketball, a seven-footer constantly, who's been really good and impactful. Yeah, McCall, well, I, think that, McCall yeah. I, got a, I got a stat for you. Are you ready for this? He, in 2017 and 2018, right, those two seasons, he set a record in the, I'm going to call it the synergy era. I don't know what else to phrase it as, but if you go and look at synergies, like percentage of post up uh, percentage of possessions that ended in post-ups, it was the years that they had Isaac cost. They set records, right? Purdue set records for the most post-up offense, uh, most, all, uh, most of their offense that ran through post-ups the next season, 2019, when they had Carson Edwards, when they had Ryan Klein, when they made that elite eight, they set a big 10 record for the most three pointers attempted. Like he completely switched how he was going to play based on the, the 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 pieces that he has at his disposal. And I don't know how many coaches are able to do that. I also think it's interesting that he was on the hot seat, right? Do you guys remember this? I think it was the 2014 ish. season, mm-hmm. right? It was two years after Hummel left. And after that, like Jawan Johnson, Etan Moore, that crew left. They had back-to-back seasons where they finished under 500, and they finished last in the Big Ten in 2014. And there were, there were calls for him to be fired. There were people that wanted him out. And he, I think he readjusted the kind of players that he recruited. Uh, to your point, the the personality test and identifying people that fit with the culture and the program and the family atmosphere that he wanted to build. Um, and it's it's worked for him. And, and and he found a way. Jay Wright kind of went through the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. After they made their final four, and then he got was able to get in with higher level recruits and guys that were uh, four stars, top thirty, whatever. And he started recruiting to rankings as opposed to recruiting to fit for his program and 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 what he wanted to build and 
I mean, it's a testament. I, I know that you said that, that you think he's the best coach in the country. I don't know if I'd go that far, but the idea that that he's not like a top 10 basketball coach in America is just, I don't, people don't recognize that because he hasn't had that great tournament run. Yeah. Well, I think you make a good point too. Like coaches go through stages and processes and whether it's him, Jay Wright, even Billy Donovan in Florida, right? You know, he gets there. He's got these unbelievable recruiting classes and Mike Miller and Donnell Harvey. They make the Final Four in 2000, and then it wasn't until 06 that we ever got out of the first weekend, right? You, you've got to learn. You've got to grow. You've got to develop as a coach, and that's what Matt Painter's been able to do at Purdue even when it wasn't going so well to now where it's just clicking. He knows who he is as a coach. He knows who he wants to recruit. He knows the types of players he can coach. And here's another big key. His staff knows it. They know who to bring in that he can coach as a head coach that fits the Purdue culture. And that's why they have so much success. I think it's it's also Mm -hmm. a credit to their administration, right? Everybody that touches that program, everyone that's associated with that program knows exactly what the culture is that Matt Painter's created there. And that's why they're sitting here where they are now. Zach Eady, I would be remiss if we did not go into deeper detail on him and just the jump he's made. I had a chance to call a couple a couple of Purdue games last season and just watching Edie um, as a sophomore, his, his, he kind of looked like a, an elephant on skates at times. I mean that just from the standpoint of like his footwork, he was still trying to get it all to click and watching him just a year later play in these MTs. It's like night and day. And he is, I mean, is he one of the, is he the best player in the country right now, Doster? Um, I think that if you had to vote for a player of the year right now, you would probably have to vote for Zach. I mean, he's averaging 22, 10, three assists for like 0.8 turnovers per game, shooting some ridiculous field goal percentage on a team that we all agree is probably top five in America. Mm-hmm. It has a resume as impressive as anybody. I got another fact for you. I don't know if you guys have heard this yet. Uh, they Purdue is the first team to beat top 10 teams in back-to-back games by 18 points or more since 1968 back when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was still Lou Alcindor. That's that. That's how long ago since, yeah, there you go, the sky hook. Um, so I think right now he's probably the 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 favorite to win player of the year. Um, if you ask me, is he the first player that I would pick if we were doing a college basketball draft? It's absolutely not. Um, there's just too many big guys, and that's a whole different conversation. But, yes, it, he he should be the uh, the leader in the clubhouse, I guess, is probably the way to phrase it for uh, for national player of the year at this point. He's fun to watch. He's fun to watch, right? I mean, not only... How often do you say that about a big guy? Right? I I mean, Luca Garza was pretty fun to watch. Just how hard those guys play, how hard they run the floor. Like, not enough credit goes to screening. Like, screening to get themselves open. Screening to get themselves post-ups. I mean, just the size on the interior and the skill level and the footwork and the hands. I mean... Yeah, I mean, right now, again, I think it's way too early to to name a, a player of the year. Where is he at at the end of the year? Obviously, knock on wood, it's got to stay healthy. But no question through through the games that they've played, he's up there. Matt, how impressed have you been with Braden Smith to start out this season? I mean, when I watch him, he, to me, as a freshman, is so steady. And I like he's got a little bit of a cockiness to his game, which I personally like, but he just he plays with swagger. He makes really good decisions and he makes quick, deliberate decisions, which I don't think you see so often with freshman point guards. Well, again, I think 
Coach Painter obviously has tremendous confidence in him to be able to put him out there in those types of situations in these big games early, and he plays with that level of confidence. To get the keys to the offense at that age as a freshman coming through the door, you've got to have a certain level of swagger to go out there and perform the way he does. I mean, I think it's it helps when you're when you're dumping it in there to Zach and you're coming off screens that he's always got an outlet pass. That makes the game a little bit easier for you, but no question. He's been outstanding up to this point in time. Your thoughts, Doster? Yeah, he's good. He doesn't play like a freshman. I think you can say that about both him and uh and, and Fletcher Lawyer. The the big question I had with this group was is the point guard play going to be good enough? Right. Like that, that's just something as we get into February and March, it's going to be something you hear on repeat on this uh, on this channel and, and on the field of 68 point guard play, point guard play, point guard play. If you don't have great guard play, I don't know if you can win a national title. Um, and I'm not ready to say that Purdue has great point guard play, but they, those guys are damn sure better than I thought they were a month ago. And that's a testament to the the caliber of player that Painter's been able to identify. And frankly, how well those guys kind of. Uh, picked up and fit into the the system and style of play the painters asking these guys to to put together. Let me let me let me ask you guys this: like when you talk about preseason rankings and you look at the Big Ten, okay, I think most experts whoever picked Purdue fifth or sixth in the league going into the season, and a lot of people had Maryland around nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got both teams right now sitting there undefeated. Are they the two best teams in the Big Ten? Uh, I don't know if I would say the two best. Indiana has been pretty damn good so far this year, but they're both very deservedly. Maryland's ranked now, right? They're in the top 25? They're in the top 25. They pounded St. Louis by 28, and they beat Miami by 18. Yep. So, you know, I know they haven't – they didn't go to the PK. They didn't play the teams out there. But, man, I, I mean, it's hard to – Put anybody again. We'll, we'll see, right? Indiana isn't Indiana, Carolina this week. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll okay. be a good one. And I believe it's in Bloomington too, isn't it? It is. That place will be. Hey, Megan, did you see how how Matt subtly took a shot at the media right there? Did you pick up pick up on that? Well, he's a you, member of the media guys, now, so he's taking you a shot. You guys that do the rankings, where you did you guys. have them? Matt, show I'm me where saying. you had Maryland preseason top four in the Big Ten. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to make the transition. I'm tr- I'm still a coach, but I'm trying to make the transition. <laughs> I mean, welcome to the dark side, my friend. Right. I walked into the arena last night. I did an FIU game with Brett Smith, who repped a bunch of A-10 games, and I was walking into the arena with him, and I said, Brett, just so you know, you will not hear a word from me tonight, okay? <laughs> I promise you that. You will not hear a word from me. Unless they start flopping, and then, you know. <laughs> then, unless there's a flop. <laughs> you got to yell at them. Stop calling it. Just don't call it. Just don't call I mean, it. <laughs> what's what's the let's just go in there right now with the flopping calls. What's the worst oh, don't, flop don't get y'all stopped. saw don't, don't get this started. week? Doster's <laughs> like we want to start like a like a flopping um flopping like, montage, like, yeah, a montage. Let's, let's a, embarrass a these officials that are going to call these things offensive fouls, right? Let's put them on blast. Let's uh, you can't question <laughs> them after the game, right? If uh if a coach messes up, he's got to answer to the media, right? If a player messes up, he's got to answer to the media. If one of us says something dumb on this right we might get canceled whatever it is officials they can mess everything up they can blow the game they can make it so that a team that was not supposed to win wins they can get somebody in foul trouble they can be horrible at their jobs never have to answer for it let's make them answer for it that's my uh that's my mission 
Doster just holding. You're like a vigilante. I feel like the anti-ref guy now, and I don't think that's going to end up being a good thing for me. <laughs> that's tough. Uh, but Matt, in all honesty, though, with, with the flopping that's that's happening, you know, the, the new rule with the technical foul that comes into play, like, do you have to have a conversation with your players about how to approach this, or is it just something you're kind of like as a coach, whatever? You know, I think a lot of coaches around the country do this, right? They bring in the commissioner of officials in practice in September and October. Brian Kersey was the commissioner of officials in the Atlantic 10. He is a great person, great human being. He'd go over all these rules and everything. And all of a sudden the game starts going up and down come November. And it's almost like all those rules that those guys were talking about in September and October are almost thrown out the window, right? I just think you got to tell your players just to play the game. We talked about it the other night. I think referees have to ref the game based on feel, based on what they see. Uh, I think it's – we talked about the other night too, just the block charge call being the most inconsistent call in college basketball. I don't think it ever got right. If you want my opinion, I thought the tweet that Tyler Hansborough sent out the other night on the, on the Baycock flop I thought was spot on. It's just – you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think those guys are in a difficult spot. I think that, you know, you, you're you're trying to – they're trying to get calls right. But like Rob said, you know, they have to answer the commissioner of officials. But if they miss a call or mess something up, they'll still be roughing a game two nights after that. So I, I just – you know, I, I think you just got to tell your players you can't get wrapped up in that. You've got to go out there and play and screen and be physical and play the game and try to be the tougher team, the more physical team, and let the referees try to do their job. And then let Rob Doster bash them later on <laughs> on Field of 68 After Dark. That's just the the way it goes around here. Stop calling flops! I mean, talk about fussy. Uh, Want to know what makes us unfussy, what makes me unfussy, at least UConn. Well-balanced, six players averaging nine points or more. I mean, I don't think, is there anyone faster than Jordan Hawkins? And we have a Jersey. We have props now. It's a little, uh, it's a little Ray Allen throwback. Come on. You got to give me credit for that one. One of my so the only thing that's shooters. good about the only thing that's good about tonight's show too, is there's not a Yukon game on. So we don't have to see Rob in the background doing <laughs> the threes pointing to his head and fist pumping while we're trying to, digest the other things that are going on in college basketball well, we're so, following the rundown yeah we're gonna go right we're gonna give it to rob right now let him go on a uconn tangent and then me and you will kind of jump in and, and add our pieces right. too i you think i handled floor. myself pretty well like those are two big games and i think i handled myself i was i was professional ish right ish. and that's really all you can heavy do. on the ish heavy on the ish no look i i I think that they are a really dangerous team because they can give you so many different looks, right? If you want to go really big, you can play Donovan Klingon at the five, who gives you a completely different presence as a lob target um, and a rim protector. You can play Andre Jackson essentially as a point guard, and all of a sudden you have four guys on the perimeter that are between 6'6 six, six and 6'8 six, and switchable. Um, you have Adama Sonogo, who has been playing like a, an All-American so far this season who's now uh, shooting 50% from three through eight games. He's hit seven threes in eight games. Um, you have a bunch of transfers that have come in and not only really fit seamlessly into this group, but have embraced what their roles are and what they're going to be asked to do, right? Like you don't hear Naheem Aline or Joey Calcaterra or Hassan Diar complaining about minutes, complaining about shots, complaining about anything. Tristan Newton has come in and kind of fit seamlessly in as a creator. And, 
you know, Alex Caravan is, is he is, I think he's going to be an NBA player. I think he's going to be drafted early second round in like two or three years. He could shoot it. He's smart. He's always in the right spot. And I think there's very much still a ceiling to tap into. Um, and the reason I say that is we have, we've seen like one game of, of Jordan Hawkins going nuts. We know how good he can be in theory, but he had a concussion last night. He, uh, he got a technical foul and he didn't play after like the 19 minute mark in the second half. They beat an Iowa state team that had just beat North Carolina. That was a top 40 team on Kempom, One of the best defensive teams in college basketball. They've been by 20. Jordan Hawkins had two points, played six minutes. Adama Sanogo had four points and played like 22 minutes. The two guys that were supposed to be their all Americans on the biggest preseason show I said those if if UConn's going to be a team that can compete for a Big East title, they need Adama Sanogo and Jordan Hawkins to be two guys that are averaging like 37 points between them. They got six from them and they beat Iowa State by 18. It's I did I'm the biggest UConn homer you're gonna find. And I did not expect this team to be close to this guy. I thought they were like top 25-ish at best. And like they are, I think they're legit like a top eight team in college basketball right now. And they're holding teams to 58 points right now, by the way. Mm-hmm. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, good. I don't know what you guys think, but when I watch them play and I look at their teams the last couple of years and just just coach Hurley, right? I felt like in years past at UConn, he's almost trying to will his teams with his energy, with how he is on the sideline, with his antics and everything on the sideline. And it's almost like, and I was only in the year with him for one year, his last year at Rhode Island. But his last year at Rhode Island, he knew that his team was better, mm -hmm. right? They knew Jared Terrell was the guy. And then they had tremendous balance from, like, numbers two through eight. They were mm -hmm. deep, and he knew he was better than you. And he didn't have to go out there and try to will his team to play hard. And when you watch him on the sidelines now, I feel like the same thing, right? Like his first couple of years at UConn, he's trying to will those guys. And he's like, look, I know we're good. I know we're deep. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to go out here and let these guys be who they are and give them confidence. The other thing, too, is like just how unselfish they're playing. They're averaging 19 assists a game. Mm -hmm. So the ball is hopping and it's moving around. And, Rob, you make a good point, too, just in terms of the transfers. Like, two of those guys are coming off the bench. And there doesn't seem to be any chemistry issues. Hey, this is my role. This is what I'm going to – and everyone's kind of clicking on all cylinders. So, like, in terms of the, tra the transfers he took, he's got 
the right character in the locker room, but he just looks different to me on the sidelines than he did his first couple of years at UConn because I think he knows, hey, we've got a really, really good team. I'm going to put them in the right spots to be successful. And it's very similar to his last year at Rhode Island where, you know, those guys lost in the second round of Duke in the NCAA tournament. But, hey, Jared Terrell was the guy. And then we had, a you know, their two through eight were terrific. And there was just tremendous balance. They played unselfishly. And night in and night out in the Atlantic 10, they knew they were better than you. And he knew it. And it's mm-hmm. like he – just watching him on the sidelines, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like he looks different and almost like more confident and like, hey, man, my, my, these guys are good. I don't have to try to, you know, in, in, inject energy and effort into them. They, they already have it. Yeah, I think well, the then- biggest the biggest thing that stands out to me in that regard and, – and you're 100% right on that. Like, there is a – he's not – He's ne- he's always going to be a lunatic on the sidelines. That's just kind of who he is. But there's like a quiet confidence about, about him this year. Where you, instead of like screaming at someone, he's like getting in the stance and clapping, right? Where he, he still has that intensity. Um, he, he very much has the personality on the sideline of he's going to kill you in practice, right? Like practices are not going to really be all that enjoyable. He makes that be the uncomfortable spot. And then in games, he is very much your cheerleader. Right. Like yeah. he's like in games, I'm giving people confidence. I'm dapping them up. I'm telling them they're the baddest dude in the room. I'm telling them they no one can guard you. Like, go get your shot. Right. And I kind of like that mentality in the coach. But to your point with the energy, Andre Jackson to me is the kind of the, the glue that holds everything together here. One, he comes off the bench. He the, like this kid's going to end up getting drafted at some point because he is a, a physical freak. He's coming off the bench. Two, he, has embraced this idea that like you're going to come in and your entire role is just going to be to fuck stuff up defensively, run around, try to jump passing lanes, try to block shots, go out there and show everybody how athletic you are over and over and over again, go guard a point guard, 94 feet, uh, go out there. And when you get a rebound, try to go take it all the way to the other end of the floor, right? Just go out there and play like a maniac. And that was something that we didn't really see that much last year. And last, I mean, last night against Iowa State, it completely changed the game. Like he came in and he, when, when he showed up on the floor, like it, it took it from a game where UConn couldn't really get anything going to, okay, this lead is just slow. It wasn't a run, it was just like a siege, right? They went from being down to being up by like 13 at one point. And it was, it was just a slow, methodical grind you down. And it, it, it's, I don't know, you got to cut me off here, Megan, because I could I'm just about to cut there. you off. <laughs> I am going to cut you off. I like, look, I mean, between soccer and UConn basketball, I mean, this man, we could give, he could go on a soliloquy. Mm-hmm. Like Shakespeare. You got, you got, um, you got to keep me in check, Megan. It's all, well, it's all I, I'll keep you in check there. I will say this though, to cap this all off. It's similar being talking about coach Hurley with, with coach painter. It's finding those players that fit in the chemistry and what's so impressive is you watch this UConn team play and it looks like they've been playing together for years like the chemistry is so good and you have multiple transfers that are coming in but everyone's unselfish they can shoot they're shooting 37 percent from three as a team at one point in that Iowa State game they were out rebounding the Cyclones 22 to 7 in the first half so they're doing all the little things that you need to win but they're doing it with new pieces and it's happening quickly so all in all this is a really good formula I'm excited to see how things shake out in Big East play down the stretch. But before Doster can jump in and um, say something else about UConn, I'm going to change the subject to UNC because that's a team. Good job, Megan. I cannot figure <laughs> out right now. Listen to these stat lines real quick. All right. We got first off quadruple overtime. Did you guys watch all four overtimes? Unfortunately. 
I I couldn't because I was I was doing a, a game last night live, yeah. so I, I I wasn't able to watch all four overtime. You did not yeah, miss it. Was like game a twelve hour game. Caleb okay. Love, thirteen for thirty six. He took thirty six shots. A granite quadruple overtime. Thirteen for thirty six. R.J. Davis eight for twenty four. Armando Baycott seven for twelve. Hold on, back to the thirty six shots. Rob, have you ever attempted in any? High school, middle school, AAU, half that amount of shots? Uh, Yeah, in AAU games, I would get them up. But that's because the the team that we played on, like the whole – it was very much like the Grinnell system where you press and you try to get threes and you try to get – you, know you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. 100. Let's remember, go. Yeah, we were pretty – like we had Tim Abermitis. I don't know if you remember him from Notre Dame. Jeff Farmer, um, Lenny Jefferson played D1. Like we had a bunch of guys that, that played D1 and like we just pressed – and got them up as quickly as possible. Okay, so okay. They were they were only in AAU though, and only because we were trying to beat teams 120 I, to 115. I I, w- I witnessed it because you know they used to do these like showcases, the Sunshine State Showcase, and I played on the same team one time as Teddy Dupay, and I think Teddy Dupay shot like 42 to 45 shots, mm-hmm. and I just kind of stood there and just kind of let him keep dribbling up and down. But okay, carry on with North Carolina. Did I ever Sorry tell you my Dewan Wagner story? Ever told you this? No. But so when I was uh. Heading into my senior year, um, we played at like, I think it was a hoop group tournament in uh, I want to say it was in it was either in Pittsburgh or Villanova, and uh, back when you could still have them on like the college campuses, and we were all fired up because like we were putting a group play and and Dewan Wagner's team was in our groups. We were playing Dewan Wagner's AAU team, and everyone knew who he was. He was like the number one player in the country. He was what like what DJ is now, and uh, so we're lining up, we're warming up, and he's not there like at the start of the game and we're warming up and go through it. And he's not there like halfway through, he's not on the bench and we're kind of hanging with it. Like we're down by like eight, 10 point. We're like, we're staying with him. We're, we're, we're hanging tough. He shows up at halftime. Right. And, and a, you have like a like three minute halftime, right? He shows oh, yeah. up right, right. As halftime is starting in his Tim's um, takes off his jean shorts. He's got his Jersey on underneath his jean shorts, um, puts on his sneakers, comes out, gives us 35 in the first 10 minutes of the second half. They're up by 30, like game's over before the game's like timeout called, goes to the bench, takes off his shoes, puts the Tim backs on, put, puts the George back on and he's gone before the end of the game. He came in 10 minutes, dropped 35 on us and boom, he's out. And I was like, okay, yeah, I need to find something else to do. I'm not like that. That's what a basketball player looks like. That ain't me. So does that what Caleb love looks like to you at all? Because again, back to the 36 shots he took against Alabama. They're bad. Sh- they're bad shots too. It's not like these are all great shots. These are like he's forcing things. It's hard to watch at times, Coach. Uh, I, he has to play better. He has to play better. R.J. Davis has to play better. Um, I mean, they're 212th in the country right now in assists per game. There's no ball movement. It's too much. Let me try to go do it and see if I can do it instead of moving it, sharing it, passing it, utilizing each other. Um, and it's hard to win games like that. I, my question would just be, had they won that game, are we having the same conversation? You know? Um, I think you have – you see 36 shots, 13 for 36. 36 shots is a lot of shots. Listen, if I'm, if I'm the coach and, and you're shooting 36 shots and you're shooting 27% from the field or 27% from three and, you know, I think he's low 40s from the field, Something's got to change, yeah. right? Um, so I want to I want to ask you I want to ask you about that, Matt, because we saw some of these issues 
at the start of last season, right? Then, then you kind of get into late February, and all of a sudden those bad shots that Caleb Love is taking are going in. And those bad shots that R.J. Davis is taking are going in. And those shooters mean – those guys making shots now means there's more space. And now all of a sudden Armando Baycott's getting 25 and 12 every single night. And it, it builds, it builds, it builds. You go, you put 94 on Duke and Cameron Indoor Stadium. You end Coach K's home career with a loss, right? You go, you make it to the Final Four. You take down Coach K in the Final Four. You make it to the national title game. You come one possession away from winning a national title. The only thing that changed for the most part was that those bad shots that those guys were taking went in. So when you have – if you're a coach and you have guys that are bad shot makers and they're they're taking bad shots and they're missing them – how much if you've seen that that formula work how how difficult is it for you in that situation to like change it because i if i'm huber i would have a very difficult time going away from what worked down the stretch last year and and, and trying to mess everything up when i know it started slow last year and we we figured does that make sense like that I was like that was the spot. yeah i mean I, you made the point that i was getting ready to make like they started off five and four last year and oh and two in the acc mm-hmm. and then ended up finishing second in the ac and lost by three in the national championship game. So I just think you have to break down the shot attempts. Where are they coming from? Are we generating the best possible shot we can get every single time down the floor? I think you have to break all that down right now because of where their numbers are at and where his numbers at. Because if you look at Cable Love numbers last year, I mean, he was shooting, what, high 30s from three? And right now he's at 27%. And the same thing with R.J. Davis. I think both those guys were in the high 30s from three R.J. last year. R.J. was at 37%. He's at So, now. hey, are we generating the best shot we can coming down the floor every single time? You know, where is Baycott getting his touches? Is he getting double teamed? If the ball is coming out, are we shooting rhythm uncontested threes? Like, let's break that down. But I think both those guys have to play better. But I don't think it's like panic mode. For the Tar Heel Nation, because guys, let's go back to last year. You were five and four and zero and two in the ACC, okay, and you made it to the national championship game and lost by three, mm-hmm. okay. Like you said, Coach K's farewell tour. You beat him twice. <laughs> you beat him in Cameron Indoor Stadium, okay. You beat him to go to the national championship. Like, no need to panic right now. Coach Davis will figure it out. I think though their shot attempts, all thirty six. <laughs> need to be broken down. Are we generating the best possible shot we can get every single possession coming down the floor? And the other thing too is, is they're 274th in the country right now in defense. Like guys, we got to get some stops. Like we can talk about Caleb shot attempts. We can talk about the percentages we can talk, or we can sit down and guard and try to stop somebody like the offense will take care of itself. But are we playing as hard as we possibly can on the defensive end of the floor? Where is our effort defensively? To be 274th in the country and the number one ranked team in the country, our defense has to be a lot better. I, I think they're going to put more focus on that. I will say this, and I'm going to give Pete Nance a little bit of credit here. I thought there were times in overtime against Alabama where he was really good defensively. He finished with seven rebounds, three assists, three blocks, but just his sheer size and length, Alabama's guards were driving into the paint. And they were thinking twice and they were hesitating because Pete was right there and he did a good job keeping enough distance. So he wasn't going to get beat off at the dribble, but still could use his length to be, uh, to be there for the contest. So can he do that consistently? I think he's a really good role player for the Tar Heels, but 
can him and Baycott really play together that much and find that rhythm? Also, I want to know what concerns you about the depth of Carolina right now. They're really only playing six players right now. And I think, Coach, you know this better than anybody. You can't make deep runs in a season if you don't have depth. Well, I think they got to stay healthy, you know, more than anything. I mean, I, I look back to that Dayton team with, Jalen Crutcher and Obi Topping. I mean, they weren't playing more than seven guys that year, but those guys knew their roles. They knew who was going to be on the floor. The guys coming off the bench knew their roles. So, I mean, I think it's hard to play six. I think they've got to find other guys to be able to come in the game. Um, but I think the biggest key is is to stay healthy. And, and again, you know, I, I feel like when you look at the start of this season, and not just the losses, but some of the close games they've been against teams, quote unquote, they should have blown out or beaten bad. They were in a six point game last year. I think they ended up winning by six with North Carolina Central right in the middle of the season, right in the beginning of the season where they were struggling a little bit and got off to a five and four start. So, NC I Central, just don't... by the way, will sneak up and beat some of those ACC teams. They beat NC State a couple of years ago as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, dangerous team. I'm, I'm no disrespect. Dangerous. No disrespect to NC State. No, 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 no. Just what I'm trying to I'm trying to make the correlation to this season, and I know it's a completely sure. new year. And I've talked on this show before too, just about the expectations for them, mm-hmm. like probably ranked too high just to start the season. I mean, they're they're essentially That's just it. being ranked number one in the country because they played in the national championship game. But St. Peter's great run, terrific, outstanding. They beat St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, right? Like, you think about just their tournament run. They beat Marquette in the first round. Like, were they just ranked too high to start the year? I, I think we got to look at that. No and disrespect to the people ranking, Rob. No disrespect yeah. to the people. No, you're, you're, you're right about that one. But it was when you make it to the national title game, when you had the run that they had at the end of the year, and you bring all of those guys back, and, oh, by the way, you lose Brady Manick, but you happen to bring in a guy that averaged 14 six, three and a half assists, and sh- – shot 46% from three uh, and Pete Nance that is like on paper, the perfect fit. Like I, I had North Carolina number one of the preseason. Like I totally get why people kind of fell for it. Um, I I think I'm going to be very curious to see how the Pete Nance situation works out because I think that he is at his best. If you could put him as like a small ball, switchable five. Yeah. We saw, yeah. Yeah. You made the, you made that point, Megan. We saw it in overtime and he was really effective for like, about a 15 minute stretch in that role in, in the, the overtimes. But if you play him at the five, that means Armando Baycott's not out there. Now I do think that like his shooting is really important at the four. Like if you go back and you watch the tape, whenever part of the issue that you run into with the guard is that if you had Caleb love or RJ Davis coming off a ball screen and leaky black is in the strong side corner and Armando Baycott is trying to roll to the rim and you had puff Johnson in the weak side corner, like they weren't guarding the people in the corner. They were standing on the blocks. So you had like, four guys in the paint and one person out there guarding or uh, hugging Caleb Love. There was nowhere for them to go when he came off that ball screen. He's just staring at a wall of Alabama jerseys. And I think that making sure that you have Pete Nance spacing the floor um, is is something that's going to matter. And the difference I think with Nance and and Manic is like, you could run Manic off of some screens, right? Like they got, they put him in some, some cool actions, especially in the tournament last year. And I don't know if Pete Nance is the guy He's a great spot-up shooter. I don't know if you're having him run off of, like, floppy action and catching and shooting. And you could do that with Brady Manning. Which is huge yeah. on the stretch. you got to be able to stretch the floor and spread it so you have more room mm-hmm. to operate offensively. All right, let's go to Arizona real quick because, I mean, Kirk Risa 
is there a better point guard with a better headband to ever play is what I want to know, Rob Doster. And I know you talked to him today. We're going to run this interview right now. And I cannot wait to hear what you chatted about because he has been one of the most fun players to watch so far this season. And now let me welcome on to the field of 68 after dark, Kerr Creasa, Arizona star point guard, averaging 15.3 points, seven and a half assists, and 4.2 boards fresh off a Maui Invitational Championship. Kerr, what's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, What's up, man? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm great. I, I, I do have to ask you a question, though. We saw you at the Maui Invitational, and you had the thin headband on instead of the thick headband. It was uh, it devastated my colleague, Jeff Goodman. Is this is this something that's going to continue throughout the year? Are you, are we, do we have a new headband, Kerr? No, it was just, uh, you know, Maui is so humid and it's so hot there, and the gym was just, uh, you know, you walk in and you're already sweating just because how much people there was, and it was very humid. So I just had to a little bit, uh, you know, get adapted to the weather so i decided to go with the thin one so i wouldn't sweat too much yeah look good either way man you look good either way uh, let me ask you this you grew up in europe right Did, were you aware of what the maui invitational was like it, it's it's a big thing here in college basketball in the states had you ever seen it before no i had i had zero idea how how special the tournament actually is and uh, i think uh uh, when you go to the when you when you get there, then it's the first time when you start realizing how how big the tournament is and what it's about. And the the gym when we went to the gym, there was like banners all over uh, all over the gym, and like everything was basically about Maui Invitational. Yeah. Where does the that environment rank in, among places that you've played? I don't know for sure. That was my favorite tournament that I ever played in. Hundred percent. Uh, just because uh, you know it was so different. Uh, the gym is so tiny. Uh, but it was packed of, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of fans, Arizona fans, uh, uh, Cincinnati fans, you know, uh, everybody. So it was uh, one of the most special tournaments I've ever played in. All right. So you're having a great season statistically, but the number that kind of stands out for me is that you're shooting 53% from three. You were kind of in the mid thirties before that. Is this just, you got hot for a little while? Did you change anything with your stroke? Where's that development come from? Uh, well, we have played six games. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit wait. I wouldn't, you know, rush too much. For sure, I'm going to start missing more. Uh, you know, 50% is, uh, you know, a little bit uh, too surreal to, to be true right now. But, yeah, it's just six games in. Uh, uh, what I was surprised with, actually, that uh, I was expecting to shoot a little bit better from uh, three in Maui because, you know, coach was, you know, hyping up that, you know, this is a shooter, shooter's gym and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's go. Next thing you know, I couldn't make a three. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I, right now we're you know personally whatever, but as a team we are really happy where we're at. It's the soft rims, right? That's what everybody talks about. Oh yeah, it was yeah, it was actually it was unreal what kind of shots went in there, and I feel like from the free throw line it was pretty impossible to miss. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about about Coach Lloyd because I think it's really impressive how I mean you lost three NBA players last year, right? maybe a year earlier than you expected for some of them. And you guys haven't really missed a beat. Like the offense, you're still out there. You're beating everyone down the floor. You're still putting up 80, 90, 100 points every single game. Like what is it about the system? What is it about Coach Lloyd that kind of allows you to be able to lose that that level of talent and not miss a beat at all? Well, I feel like the system we play in, uh, uh, the more you're in the system, you better get, uh, the better you get at the system uh, you get to know the system way better you know all the little tricks and and stuff plus individually you get better in the system because we play the right way and uh, if you play the right way 
you know, first of all, your winning percentage gets higher. And second of all, you're getting great shots. And if I'm going to say third of all, third of all, everybody loves each other, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like three three great things in one. And, you know, our coach is really a special coach, but he's even more special human being. Uh, how he takes care of us, you know, how we think about us. Like, you know, we stayed like extra day in Maui just to chill after and, and you know, just all kinds of together. You know, if you, if you treat coach with respect, coach, you know, treats you with respect. And uh, I think that's the best part about it. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about Azulis because that dude has to be in unbelievable shape. The way that he sprints down the floor and does it for 40 minutes or 35 minutes, however long he's playing, he never stops running. Is that is that something where was he like that before? Have you seen him kind of get in shape? Is that something where you know those extra suicides, the extra sprints at the end of practice are starting to pay off? Uh, no, I mean if you look at the last year, I feel like he was already last year one of the best bigs in running, uh, you know. And now this year he's just taking an extra step, and and I think for him, you know, he knows that if he runs, he will get the ball. Because, you know, us guards, we're not selfish. You know, Pella passed the ball, I passed the ball, Courtney, Cedric, everybody just, you know, trying to pass the ball. And uh, and we're trying to get some easy baskets. And, you know, when when Zoo runs, he, he gets the ball. And I think that's that's what he wants. And, you know, good, good for him so far. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for him. And he really deserves everything. So, yeah. As long as he's finishing it, you're going to keep throwing it to him, right? No, 100%. Yeah. Once, you know, if he misses two in a row, you know, I might not go there anymore. You know, maybe <laughs> we have to go look look at Omar maybe or something. So, no, I'm just kidding. I will I will keep passing the ball even if he misses five in a row. You know, that's our guy. Yeah. Omar has uh, Omar Ballo has, has really had an unbelievable year at the start of the season. He's a guy – I remember watching him at the U19 uh, – I think it was the – was it the – World Cup. World Cup. Yeah, when he was playing with Mali. I think he was – Yeah, 18 years old and and – We've been kind of waiting for the breakout, right? And it's really happened this season. Did you guys see this in practice the last couple of years? I mean, obviously, last year already when we were talking about our team, we said that we have eight, nine starters. And when we said that, we kind of, not kind of, but we truly believed it. So, you know, uh, if he has surprised, probably you guys, you know, guys from outside the team. Uh, For us, you know, uh, maybe a little bit, the way that he really, you know, performed in Maui. But, uh, you know, we, we see every day how much they put work in with, uh, you know, Ricky and uh, and Zoo and all these guys. So, you know, if you work out, like, the re- results have to come at some point. And I think it's perfect uh, for, perfect timing for us right now. What's the next thing that, that you guys have to – what's the next step as a team that you guys have to take? Is it, you know, get a little bit better defensively? Is it tighten some things up offensively? Like what's, what's the – you've proved a lot of people how good you guys are. How do you get to that next level now? Uh, well, uh, actually, I was pretty happy with our turnover ratio in uh, Maui because before Maui, we were kind of careless with the ball and stuff. So I feel like taking care of the ball is uh, for sure one thing. Uh, and second thing, yeah, defensively, get better stops, more stops, you know, because, uh, you know, our game our game starts with the stops. If we get the stop, we can run our fast breaks and stuff. So defense is for sure very, uh, very important for us. Well, listen, Kerr, I appreciate the time. Thank you for jumping on After Dark with us. Never stop playing with that intensity, man. You're one of my favorite players to watch in college basketball this season. Best of luck to you, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you at some point down the road. Uh, yeah, well, we will see if I'm still your favorite when we start playing bad. So that's how, you know, usually it goes. If you start playing bad, next thing you know, oh, my favorite player is Purdue point guard, you know. But, okay, I appreciate <laughs> you. I take that comment. I will put it behind my ears. I will remember it. And uh, Jeff, uh, man. 
you gotta say hi to Jeff, and I have something something for Jeff waiting in Tucson. So make sure that uh, tell him to come down here, and uh, yeah, I'll make sure that he gets down there. I know that he's uh, he's desperately waiting on the edge of his seat for that. Yes, sir. The only thing I'm disappointed about is the fact that he wore a hood instead of a headband. Because in case you go to Field of Sixty Eight dot shop and you want to take a look on this holiday month, they have a headband cur shirt to pay homage to the man who has been stealing all of our hearts, especially Rob Doster's. Especially mine, yes. <laughs> but he, seriously, he's been so fantastic this season. I mean, Matt, you, when you watch him from a coach's perspective, what does he do that's so attractive to a coach? I mean, he's got 45 assists and 17 turnovers. He He runs the show. He gets everybody involved. He takes care of the basketball. He's unselfish. He understands how good his front court is and gets them the ball in spots where they could be successful. I almost felt like what they did in Maui kind of got overshadowed because of the PK-80, right? It was like we almost like moved like directly onto that yeah. because of all the teams that were in Portland. It's like, oh, we, we're moving past. But what they did in Maui was extremely impressive. We We just moved on too quick, but he's just a guy that – just gets everybody involved and his numbers prove it. And he gets guys the ball in spots where they can be successful. And that, that's what it's all about. I mean, they're averaging what 98 points a game. Mm-hmm. Like, like say, yeah. it's, it's, it's insane. And then it's, everyone's like, well, they didn't play anyone before Maui. Well, last time I checked, Creighton's a pretty good basketball team. They had 21 assists versus Creighton. Crane's so, a really good basketball team, yes. Like, what they did over there was so impressive, and, and it started with him. And, and they're exciting to watch, excited to watch them going forward. It feels like he's playing a little bit more within himself, right? Like, you never really want to take away Kerr's aggressiveness and um, his creativeness because he sees a lot of things on the floor. There's a reason he's averaging seven and a half assists. But he's it's less of the dumb stuff. It's less of the bad shots. It's less of the uh, pull-up. With 25 seconds left on the shot clock from like 25 feet and airballing it kind of a thing. And he it's it, the, the efficiency is up. Obviously the shot making is up. I think he's taking better shots uh, this year, but the thing that, that really has stood out to me is, is the way that he works with Azulis Tubelis and, and Omar Ballo in terms of, especially with Azulis, like they just, they know where each other's going to be when they get out and run. I, I don't know how many big guys run the floor the way that Azulis Tubelis can run the floor, and the fact that he knows if he if he puts in the effort and if he makes that run and if he he gets to where he needs to be, Kerr's going to find him. I think that is part of what makes Arizona so effective is that they work so well together. And I mean, I, look, watching Tubelis in the post that dude, we talk about quick quick releases with jump shooters all the time, right? Like that dude's got a quick release post move, quick release hook shots where he touches it and the ball's up. You don't even have the time to double him, right? Mm-hmm. You just can't let him get position because if he gets position and gets the shot off, it's going in. There. I'll take his that quick shot release and raise you with Ballo's post moves down low and his footwork. I mean, he has a textbook up and under that you have to. I feel like you need to show every young person in America who's trying to play with their back to the basket. It is fan- the fundamental soundness. Is that a word of this team and of these post players? I think is going to get them really far. Like, Rob, when's the last time you had two front court players on a team averaging 19 a game, both of them? Each. And they've made two threes total on the year. And they're both getting 19 a game. I mean, 
and, and some, they're not drilling three point shots. Like that is, that's to me is like, I, I, don't, I don't, when's the last time that had like two front court players leading a team and scoring both at 19 a game and neither one of them shoots threes. I mean, if, if it had, if it was anyone, it was probably one of those Gonzaga teams in like the mid 2010s with like Shimmick Karnowski or something like that. Like one of those teams, but yeah, to your point, it doesn't happen all that often. Um, and, and it's, what's interesting is I don't, how often do you see teams that run the floor the way the Arizona runs the floor yeah. with two, like, let's just call it what it is. Like those guys are pretty lumbering big guys, right? It's not like Umar Ballo is the most fleet of foot guy. Um, I don't think Azul Stubelis is going to be winning any any uh, world record 100 meter sprints anytime soon. They just they run so hard and they always do it and it's every single possession and you cannot sleep if you are guarding them. And if you do, it's a layup because Kirk Reese is going to end up finding them. It's they are a very entertaining team to watch. And they go seven just, deep. Yeah, I mean, I think the balance, like you said, I mean, Cedric Henderson is the sixth man on the team and he's averaging 9.8 points per game. Right. So they have six guys essentially averaging double figures. So they are an explosive offensive team. And that's that's to me is we talk about the other guys, but just the balance that they have from top to bottom. I mean, that's that's a that's a tough team to guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Uh, I'd be remiss if we did not bring up the fact that the Big Ten ACC challenge comes to an end. ESPN loses Big Ten Media Rights starting in 2023. There's now going to be an ACC-SEC challenge, which will still be fun. Um, what are you going to miss about the Big Ten ACC challenge? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you want me to go or you, Rob? Well, go ahead. You go. Well, being Rob's been talking from, enough tonight. This is all you, Matt. <laughs> being, being from the South, working at the University of Florida for 11 years total, uh, I've always kind of wanted an SEC-ACC challenge. Um, Florida always played Florida State, but why couldn't we get the Florida Duke matchup or the Florida, uh, you know, North Carolina or the Tennessee, whatever it may be. Um, so I, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to miss it because I've always kind of wanted the, the SEC, ACC challenge. I still think you're going to get some great games. And I think because of how the SEC is reshaping with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, I think that challenge you know, you, you know, you can match up Texas and Carolina or Texas and Duke and Oklahoma. I mean, you've got some really, really good teams in those two leagues. So I don't really think it's going to miss a beat. That's just my opinion. Who's fired up for the Boston College Vanderbilt matchups that we're going to get every single year? Vanderbilt, Georgia, tough place Georgia, to Georgia Tech, baby. Buckle <laughs> up. Here we go. <laughs> ACC, SEC challenge. No, the, the biggest thing about it and the best thing about it was you always knew, right? That this is what the schedule is, right? You have those those uh, tournaments heading into Feast Week, right? It always is the Thursday, Friday, Saturday heading into Feast Week. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the Maui Invitational. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is the Battle for Atlantis. Thursday, Friday, Sunday are the PK-80, the PK-85, like the, the other tournaments that we just had this past weekend. Then Monday's off, Monday Night Football. You can't, can't compete with the NFL. Then you have the ACC Big Ten Challenge on that Tuesday and Wednesday. And now – the Big East and the Big 12 are having their thing this week. So we get Creighton and Texas and UConn and Oklahoma State. So it, it creates, it creates, for lack of a better term, content for college basketball media companies, right? It creates games. It forces power conference teams to play other power conference teams. And we need that early on in the season. And the best time to do it, I'm, I've said this over and over again, the best time to do it is on Tuesday and Wednesday night in November and December. Because every other night during the week, 
Monday night, you got Monday night football. Thursday night, th- you got Thursday night football. football. Friday night, you got Friday night lights. Saturday night, you got college football. There's not even any, any inventory available because you can't put it on any networks because there's a million college football games on. Sundays, you got NFL football, right? Tuesdays and Wednesdays, there's nothing going on. There's nothing on TV. There's NBA that you got to compete with, but college basketball junkies and college sports fans are going to watch those games. ACC, SEC games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays are going to be, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. We get some new, interesting new matchups that we don't necessarily see every day, like North Carolina, Alabama. How often do they play, right? Yeah. No, that'd be a fun one. Uh, look, these teams are still going. I mean, the good ones. Look at like, you know, Michigan State's always, I mean, Champions Classic. Thomas is going to go out and schedule some of the best. So you're always going to get a great P5 matchup. When you look at Michigan State, there's maybe a couple other Big Ten coaches. I think now they're going to end up having like a Big Ten, big because the Big 12, Big East one comes to an end this year. So I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get a Big Ten, Big 12 because they're both box, right? And will the Zags be going to the Big 12? We'll find out. Rumor I mean, has it. Look, let me ask you. Let me ask this. Ask, though, Rob. I, I don't. I don't like, want to cut you off. Like real quick, Matt. Just if Gonzaga goes and Houston goes and BYU goes and Cincinnati's going to the Big Twelve, that league going up against the Big Ten, knowing how good the Big Ten is, like the Big Twelve Big Ten matchup is what you want. And it's also like you have there's a little bit of Midwest stuff going on there too, right? They're kind of oh, fighting for the same. There's a lot of Midwest group. stuff going on. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. No, I, I I totally agree with you on everything. The one the one challenge that like I've never really liked or agree with is like when they throw it in into like the middle of conference play, like the SEC Big Twelve deal, where all of a sudden like we're lining up and you're playing Kentucky, then you play Vanderbilt, then you play Alabama, then you play Auburn, and all of a sudden, hey, we're gonna throw in a West Virginia in the middle of conference play. Like I agree with you. I think those games, those challenges. They need to be right now. They need to be in November. They need to be in December. You need to be playing those games leading up to conference. And then once you start conference play, hey, it's all SEC. It's all ACC. We're competing for a championship night in and night out. That, that is just my opinion. Well, and it's hard, too, because, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's trying to make money here. And your media folk you don't like are the reason why you have these challenges come in. You got, <laughs> oh, like, two conference games, and you got a bunch of non-conference, and you finally get into conference play. It's those damn media folk, Matt. Uh, I'm one of them. I love the media. Doing everything. I'm one of them. them. (laughs) All right, before I let you, we got to start calling him Media Matt from now on. Media Matt. Get a shirt made. Let's get it going. (laughs) Field of sixty eight dot shop. Before I let you two go, number one matchup you're looking forward to this week. Go ahead, McCall. Indiana, Carolina, Indiana. I I think uh, it's going to be rocking in Bloomington. Anxious to see how Carolina responds uh, after this past weekend. Obviously, we know how good Indiana is. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that game. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the the big one. There's a couple other interesting ones in the sense that, uh, you know, you're you're looking for a bounce back from um from Ohio State and Duke, right? Or sp- specifically Duke. You're looking for a bounce back from Michigan for some of the struggles they had early on. They get Virginia. You're looking for a bounce back for Syracuse. They lost two. Uh, Two games at home, two bye games, and now they get to go play Illinois, who is going to be a tough matchup. But how about this? Florida State's got to deal with Purdue. What do you think the line's going to be there? Like 40? Thoughts and prayers. 40? (laughs) Florida State is completely beat up. Those guys look like they they realize they're, they're completely beat up. I don't think anyone on the team still wants to play anymore. Like they're just in such a tough spot. And hey, you know what? By the way, you get to play the hottest team in the country with a seven foot four monster. That's what you get in the ACC Big Ten Stop Challenge. Great footwork. Yeah, good luck, Leonard Hamilton. We'll leave you right there. That'll do it. Matt McCall. 
I forgot your name for a second, Rob Doster. Rob Doster, <laughs> <laughs> Megan McEwen. Check out our uh, Field of 68 merch shop, fieldof68.shop. That'll do it for us on Field of 68 After Dark. We'll see you next time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.